Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast, Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. Athletics in the Bible. <laughs> Maybe you've never heard a title, a sermon title with that. But athletics in the Bible. But we find in the Bible there's a lot of athletic references. Um, and I looked it up last night in a couple sites. On the one site I remember having 16 verses basically about athletics in the Bible. So, um, looking through things, I picked out a few examples and then picked out a few verses um, in the end to wrap up with. And so the verse that I, my first verse that I thought of when um, this came to mind was 1 Timothy 4.8. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of life that is now and of that which is to come. So that, so exercise is good. Physical exercise is good. It says right here in the Bible, profits a little. It does profit us for this life. But there is definitely an exercise that is greater and for eternity. But godliness, you know, exercising godliness is profitable for all things. Having that promise of life that now is our life here in Christ and of that which is to come when we go and be with him forever. And if we are in Christ, we have that assurity that we will one day be in heaven with God forever and ever. That is the greater exercise of godliness. Let's get context of this verse. In 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 11, it says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ, minister in that. Nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. So that's words for us that we should be a people who are carefully following God's word also. So this is Paul's encouragement to Timothy. And then he tells them, reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. So the things of this world, the, the wisdom of this world, the doctrines of this world, we, you know, old wise fables, we, we need to put those aside and exercise ourselves toward godliness. And again, for God, for bodily exercise does profit. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. Okay, there's a, a lot of that going on now um, in the media, in our culture. Maybe you've experienced it personally. But the reproach of being a Christian, of being a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that we have the audacity to say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. I mean, that's scripture. That's, that's God's word saying that. But for us to believe that, the world treats us in reproach. 
because they are in rebellion against God. They're in rebellion against the truth of Jesus Christ, that he truly is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the Savior, who through him, through his death, burial, and resurrection, that our sins are forgiven, and we have that surety, that promise of eternal life. God didn't say that it was going to be easy in following him, but he does say that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. He will walk through this life, even if we're in reproach. Why? Because we trust in the living God. He is truly not dead, but he is alive. And he is, as this verse continues, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. I love that because it says that salvation is for all people. All people can be saved, but it is a choice because it's for those who believe. We have to accept that gift, that righteous gift, from that righteous Christ who imputes that righteousness upon us as we believe that we would be sons and daughters of God. What are we to do with this information? Verse 11 says, These things command and teach. So bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. May we exercise physically for our own health, but especially in godliness for eternity. And so when I was thinking of some examples of athletes in the Bible, as we were getting into athletics in the Bible, you know, Jonah came to mind. Maybe he thought it would be okay to get thrown out of the boat because he maybe maybe he thought he was an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> and he could just swim himself. But we know that what happened, he was sinking. He didn't have any hope outside of God. And so God did save him with that great fish. And uh, fish spit him up on the shore eventually. After three days, three nights. Um, so I could have went there. I could have went to Jonah. Uh, I was thinking of somebody else. Then, uh, ah, I lost it. I had another example that I wasn't going to go to. Anyways. Um, but then there's Philip, too. Uh, but he had a little help. Uh, the Spirit helped him out and he got moved from one spot to another really quickly. Um, anyways, I'll get into the examples that I did want to get into. I was trying to think of that one other example. Um, but any wrestlers out there? Anybody was a wrestler? Ryan? Dave? All right, parking lot after church. <laughs> okay, we can go to the field, I mean. All right, so we have, um, we have Jacob. And I'm going to go to Genesis 32, 22 through 32. So Jacob was a wrestler. He only had one match. And his record was 0-1, but... Um, so Jacob, Genesis 32, through 32. And so Jacob arose that night and took his two wives, his two female sons, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. And he took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over what he, what he had. And so to set this up, uh, Jacob kind of on his way back to um, what we call the land of Israel. And he's um, 
his brother is in the picture. They they had a a fallen away for many years, and they hadn't seen each other in years. But they were they were meeting up, and then. Um, so he kind of set his family and his uh, everyone ahead, and then Jacob meets up with somebody. In verse 23, it says he took them. I read this. Sent them over the brook and sent them over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him to the breaking of day. So that's a long match. Uh, so. Gym class, late 80s. Um, we had we had a pretty good wrestling program at the high school that I went to back in Tonawanda, New York. And I just remember the I can almost smell that wrestling room. <laughs> so, um, so gym teacher. Usually one of the athletic, you know, coaches, and of course he's the wrestling coach. So of course one of our units is going to be wrestling. And uh, I don't remember if I was any good at it at all, but I just remember just being a really hot room, super hot room, guys on the floor, you know, wrestling, uh, trying to flip each other over, all that stuff. Um, I just, I mean, I don't even remember, like I said, I don't remember how good I was at it or, or if I got pinned every time. But um, I just remember, like, learning different things. Like, I still remember two-legged takedown, one-legged takedown, um, all those things. Um, but it, it takes a lot of energy, even for... I mean, the matches aren't that long. I forget how long a round is or however they call it. Um, but you know, to go all night, this says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him to the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, so when the person saw that he wasn't prevailing against Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So basically, Jacob wouldn't give up. And um, in athletics, I mean that's a good that's a good um, attribute of an athlete is that they don't give up, that they're always in it, um, no matter the position they're in. I mean, I mean even when his hip was out, he he uh, didn't give up. And so the person said to him, let me go for daybreak, for the day breaks. So Jacob's just hanging on for dear life. And he, and the guy says, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So what he's telling us is that we have here uh, Christophany, uh, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Christ. So he was wrestling with God. But he was persistent. He didn't give up. He had endurance, right? All night. He was wrestling all night. That's a lot of endurance. I mean, these are all things that I, as a coach, I coach basketball. And these are all things that I tell my my players to work on is, you know, you got to be persistent. You got to have endurance. Uh, you know, you got to do your homework at home. You got to do, do things to to increase your endurance, your strength, your your abilities. And so, you know, it seems like Jacob had a lot of these attributes. 
And so, and so he, he continues and said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun arose on him, and he limped on his hip. I can, under, I can relate to that. Um, so a couple of years ago, beginning of COVID, I could barely walk. Melissa probably say I could hardly walk. Um, and so, you know, COVID hits March of 2020, and, you know, the family's looking for something to do, so they start going to forest preserves to walk around, but I couldn't because I, re I couldn't do that because of my hip. And, uh, but now, uh, through surgery, <laughs> through a replacement, I have a porcelain hip. <laughs> Um, but it works great. It's been working great. <laughs> I can, I can play a little basketball. Uh, I can coach. I can demonstrate things. Um, I can walk. Just basic things like that. Um, but I can understand uh, Jacob here as he limped on his hip here. And injuries come in life. Don't I mean they come. Um, you know, and especially as an athlete, you sometimes you just got to persevere through it, um, play through it. Um, but there are times where you just can't, and you, you're sidelined by it. Uh, but through it all, it's it's how you know how our attitude, how our perspective is as we um, walk through this life. Um, whether we're at the top of our game, so to speak, or we're on the on the sidelines with an injury, you know, are we walking this life in and through God? Because it's all through Him. And I can also relate to Jacob as he wrestled with God all night. Have you ever been in that place? N not physically, like Jacob actually was, but have you wrestled with God in prayer and scripture and just crying out to him? You know, I think, I think God really likes that. Because what position are we in when we when we do that? Where we say, Lord, it's I'm I'm done. I I have nothing. I need you, right? When we're wrestling with God and with things like that, you know, maybe some of the tougher issues that come up in life that we just have to come to that point and say I'm done Lord I've got nothing it's it's got to be you you know what would you have me where would you have me you know just put me in that place work in my life where where you want me what do you need what do I need to do by your direction Lord And so just concluding this uh, passage, he limped on his hip, and therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. And so on just a note with that, that, um, you know, Jacob became Israel, and so 
Then his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. So there's been a lot of different like competition shows on TV. And the one, I don't know if it's still on. I've seen it a while ago. But it's a, it's a strongman competition. So they're pulling, lifting, pushing, all these um, different obstacles and weights and things. Um, I don't know if anybody has heard of their, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Dude Perfect, especially the younger generation here. But um, recently they are over, I don't know if it was recent, um, one of my sons really likes to watch them over and over again. Um, but um, they're not they're not strong. They're not. I mean, I'm sure they're pretty strong, some of them. But um, they're not like um, these guys on those strongman shows that come out with um, muscles upon muscles upon muscles. Um, but they put on. Uh, like the bodysuit that looks like they have a lot of muscles <laughs> just for their for their show. Um, but they had a strongman competition and it was kind of a scaled down version of one of those shows. Um, but it was fun to watch because they have fun with it. But anyways, Samson. Samson, our strongman. And so if we go to Judges 16, 1 to 3, it says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it's daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. When he arose at midnight, he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. I mean, these gates of a city, the gates of a city had to be massive. I don't know how heavy they were, but Samson was a, was a pretty strong man to be able to do that, just to rip them out and then carry them up a hill. Uh, just walking up a hill can be difficult. <laughs> Running up a hill, but then carrying um, the weight. Uh, I was dismantling an old garden on the property last weekend, or last couple of weekends, and carrying a bit of the wood up. And it's just a little hill, but just the distance. <laughs> I mean, to carry... Um, of course, he had to balance it too because it was like eight feet sections. Um, but, you know, to be able to carry that up, uh, actually up a steep hill. I mean, these, when they say probably a hill in the, in the Bible, it wasn't just a, you know, a little 10 foot hill or something. I'm sure it was bigger than that. Um, so he had to be really strong. I mean, this is the guy that took a jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand men with it. Um, he, he was strong, but he had a weakness. And um, nothing gets the ladies, but his weakness was ladies. <laughs> and um, as it says in the beginning, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And so, you know, we can get distracted by things of this world. And Samson's distraction definitely was the ladies. God can enable us, can give us talents, abilities, can give us a strength in this life, Samson had that physical strength, and God used that. But Samson is a cautionary tale because, again, we can get sidelined not only by injuries, 
but by our own habits, by our own by getting off a track from God and following the ways of the world or falling into sin. And so Judges 16, 26 through 31 says, Then Samson said to the lad, So let me backtrack and just recap what happened. So he meets another lady, and she, she asks him, Delilah, and she tries to ensnare him and says, you know, what, what's your secret of your strength? You know, how could somebody overtake you? And he says, you know, put these strings on me. Of course, that didn't work. And then he goes through a few other things. But then he finally says, he, was, he had the Nazarite vow, so he wasn't allowed to cut his hair. He cuts the hair. You know, he says, if my hair was cut. And so while he's sleeping, she cuts his hair, and his strength leaves him. And they take him to his enemies, the Philistines. And that's where we pick up. And they p blind him. They take out his eyes. And it says, Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, So they're at a temple, the, the Philistine temple, and there's a lot of people celebrating. They're, they had Samson there entertaining them. He was their entertainment because he was their great enemy. And now he's bound and he's blind. But he asked the lad who's kind of his guide, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Remember, he killed a thousand with a jawbone of, of a donkey. So there must have been a lot of people here. And his brothers and all his father's household came down, took him, and brought him up, buried him between Zor and Esthetal, in the tomb of his father, Mona, he had judged Israel for 20 years. So here, Samson was a leader of Israel. And he was given this great strength from the Lord. He was given this position and service to the Lord and to the people of Israel. But again, it's a cautionary tale for us. Because just like an athlete can get sidelined by injury, an athlete can also get sidelined by um, by inappropriate behaviors, by reputation, by, you know, that, that, um, by how we handle ourselves. Who we are um, as a person in Christ matters that we should live above reproach. That if somebody looked for an accusation against us um, that would disqualify us, that they could not find that. And so Samson got disqualified because of his like for the women. And so he, if he would have stayed above reproach, God could have probably used him even greater. 
I mean, Samson did some great feats. But God calls us to a greater feat than that, and that is that relationship with Him that flows through our life and is involved in our thoughts, in our conduct, in our words, in, in our all in all. That we would live lives that are above reproach, that, that in the end, God would say, good, well done, good and faithful servant. In, does that mean we need to be perfect? N no, because we're not perfect. While we're in this flesh, while we're in this body, we're, we're not perfect. But the Lord forgives. And the Lord can wash us clean. We need to go to the Lord. And as we grow in Christ, as we mature in Christ, that when we do sin, when we do have mistakes in our life, that I have found that as I'm in Christ and I'm close to Christ, the quicker I am to confess my sin, the quicker I am to recognize it and to confess it. But that comes like an athlete practicing his craft, his or her craft, whatever the sport, we need to practice our faith. We need to exercise our faith through the reading of His Word, through prayer, through teaching. Does that mean you have to be a pastor and come and teach like this? No. But you can talk to your friends. You can talk to family. You can give them the Scriptures. We are all called the minister we're all ministers of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this cautionary tale of, of Samson, that we would not be disqualified, but we would be above reproach and allow the Lord to continue to work through us all the days of our life. There's a lot of references in the Bible to running. You would find a lot and to to win the prize, to to get the the crown. And the Bible talks about, you know, the here on the earth it's a perishable crown. But once when we go to heaven, we'll receive an imperishable crown, an eternal crown forever. But we have our runner, Elijah. Elijah is going to be my example of a runner. First Kings chapter 18, 46. Then the, Lord, the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And so we have... The continuation of that in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. And we'll get there in, in a second. But to set this up, so this is just after the, the showdown at Mount Carmel. So Elijah invited the 400 prophets above to Mount Carmel for a sacrifice show off showdown <laughs> um, and so set up two sacrifices and Elijah allowed uh, the prophets of Baal to go first and the only thing was they couldn't touch the sacrifice they had to plead to their God and that they, their God would consume the sacrifice that was the challenge Okay, and so they went, and they went for a long time. Elijah kind of mocked them, saying, maybe your God's in the bathroom. He's a little busy. Um, but in the end, it was Elijah's turn, 
And he had um, the servants that were around pour tons and tons of water onto the sacrifice. And then he prayed to God, and God showed up, and fire came and consumed all the sacrifice, both of them. And so then um, the 400 prophets were slain, and uh, we come to where Ahab and Jezebel uh, are talking about what happened. So Ahab was there when all this went down. So that's why it says, The hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So they wore like robe kind of um, outfits. And so what they would do is they would pull the robe up from the bottom and they would like tuck it in like a belt. And that's what girding up your loins um, means. So that, you know, I don't know, ladies, is it easy to run in a dress? <laughs> um, so, I mean, they weren't dressed, they were robes. But, um, but the same concept. And so, you know, that's how they would, would run. So that's what he did. But the Lord enabled him that he ran, outran everybody back to um, the entrance of Jezreel. And so in verse, in verse Kings 19, verses 1 through 18, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow after this time. And when Elijah saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Okay, so Elijah had a great victory, right? He had this huge mountaintop victory. And he gets back to life and immediately gets attacked. Immediately has this huge discouragement. Okay, and so we have, and he decides to run. Okay, so in life, and as an athlete, I see this often. Somebody will be doing great in a game, and then something will happen, and they'll a switch will happen in their in their mind, in their manners, in their demeanor, how they're on the court. You know, they get discouraged really quick, and then just everything just um, all their momentum that they had just stops. And they get really discouraged. And I've seen this a lot. And it it takes uh, it takes some exercise to be able to not get that way. To be able to um, to have what I call a next play mentality. That. Yeah, things are going to go wrong, whether on the court or in life. Things are going to go wrong. And to have that next, men, next play mentality is to be able to, um, okay, something just went wrong. Okay, what's the next best thing I can do to help myself and my team? Okay? To get back into it. Okay? To, to push that aside and get back into the game. Whether you're on the court or in life, that can happen. And we, we can have that next play mentality because the Lord is with us in all things. And that we can go to him with those discouragements. We can go to him with those attacks that happen in our life. And we can be encouraged and we can switch to that next play mentality. What's the next best thing I can do to get back into the game? But Elijah really gets down here 
as we'll see. So he runs, he ran for his life, and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left the servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came down, sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I mean, what a contrast. He just had this great victory, and here he is, you know, not even that long after, and he's, you know, praying that the Lord would take him. But the Lord is always at work in our lives. He will meet us, whether we're at the mountaintop or we're in a valley low. He will meet us there. He'll meet us where we're at. So after he prayed this, he lay and slept under a broom tree, and then suddenly an angel touched him, and he said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Who's the refresher of your soul? I pray it's the Lord. Because he truly is that refresher of our soul. He gives us food. He gives us water. He gives us his word. He gives us his spirit as our refresher. He is our refresher. He ever just needed that that drink of water, that little bit of food, just to refresh yourself? We can go to the Lord and get that spiritually at any time. And so the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord can sustain us even in the wilderness. Even when we're wandering the wilderness for 40 nights or 40 years as Israel did, the Lord can sustain us. And so he rose, ate and drank, went in the strength of the of that food 40 days and 40 nights and as far as Horeb the mountain of God and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place and behold the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him what are you doing here Elijah so he said I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and killed your prophets with sword I alone am left they seek to take my life so he was, he felt all alone. He felt like he was the only one who was serving the Lord, who, was, who believed in the Lord. He was, he was in self-pity. He was in self, um, like, woe is me. I'm the only one. Verse 11 says, Then he said, God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. Can you imagine? You come out of this cave and this, these events happen. You know, just the wind tearing in the mountains, breaking rocks. An earthquake. But after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out, stood in the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with sword. I alone am left, 
they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, so he has some, some tasks for Elijah. And when you arrive, anoint Hazal as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mahalo, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazal, Jahu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jahu, Elisha will kill. Yet, I love many times in the Bible, yet, there's that word yet or the word but. Here it's yet. Yet I have reserved, who God has reserved, 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay? Elijah, you're not alone. People of God, you're not alone. We have the Lord God who is in and in and with us always. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. But we'll also have each other. May we, when we feel in that alone, when we feel discouraged, when we have that self-pity, may we be reminded that we are not alone that we have each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have the God of the universe, the Lord himself, who refreshes us, who feeds us, who waters us. And so we need to run this race. 1 Corinthians 9.24 tells us, Do you not know that who those who run in a race all run? but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run this life. Run this race. Run hard. Run it for Christ. He's our strength. He will help us endure all the obstacles we face. If you ever have seen a cross-country race, versus a track race. In track, there can be obstacles like, uh, I'm drawing a blank. What do you jump over? Hurdles. <laughs> drawing a blank. Okay, hurdles. So you can have a hurdle. I mean, there's that, I think it's called the decathlon with all the different things you have to do, obstacles. There's uh, like the high jump where you have to jump over the bar. But I think maybe life is more like a cross-country race because there could be, you know, a log in your way or there's hills in cross-country races that you're running on uneven ground at times. You know, but through it all, no matter what conditions are in our life, God is there to give us that refreshing, to be able to finish the race, that we can go before him one day and we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Run with endurance. Run this life full of Christ that we may serve 
and be useful to him all of our days and have that joy no matter what our circumstances may we live the joy of Christ each and every day let us be the ones who go for the prize and the race has already been run because Jesus won it for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. We'll get to the finish line because of who he is and what he did for us. Um, can the worship team come? Lord, we go before you right now and we just, I just want to lift up everyone, Lord, that's here, that's listening on the radio or online, the video streamings. Lord, I pray that you would encourage each one of us. You are the great coach, and we are your athletes, Lord. Lord, help us to run this race in this life as you would have us run. Lord, guide us, direct us, Put us in the positions that you can most use us. Lord, may we step up and be ones who encourage one another. Lord, we all get down. But Lord, we have each other. We have you, Lord, to refresh us. We have each other to encourage us. Lord, may we be, be those people who just encourage one another in and through you, Lord, and that we would be about your business here in this life. Lord, that when we get to that great celebration in heaven with you, we can just look back and, and see all the goodness that you have done all that you brought us through and all that you worked through us even though we're leaky vessels, Lord. Fill us up. May your spirit flow through us. And may others know and see that you are God, our Savior, our Lord. You are the love that never ends. May we go into worship now and just praise your name, give you thanks and praise, because you truly are the one that deserves it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.